Film runs through our veins and continuously makes us interact with it. I'm your host, Edward Frumkin, and this is Real Print. In this episode, contributor Sean Naughton and I break down the politics of viewing stories about and by BIPOC communities and the highly anticipated films playing at the 2022 Black Star Film Festival. Finally, in today's concluding thought, I share my excitement about Comic-Con. Some portions are recorded on Zoom, so bear that in mind when you hear the audio and enjoy the show. Thank you for coming to today's episode of Real Print, Sean. Of course, Eddie. Always, always happy to be here. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to not just plan to attend the fest- this festival in early August, but also to share some amazing films with you that's playing at the Black Star Film Festival in Philadelphia from August 3 to 7. It'll be have it'll have both virtual and in-person editions. And if you can see some of these films in person, it's very great to see it in the theater where you don't have to be distracted by your own personal settings at home. But before we get into discussing the films there's important politics that comes into viewing such films primarily from a white audience and that we have two amazing articles that help us guide through this conversation about the the politics of viewing such films and they are the politics of the gays by Janina Oliveira, who is the film programmer at the Zosimo Bobo Black Film Festival in Brazil, and the, the op-ed from the New York Times, The Problem with Anti-Racist Filmless by Columbia University film professor Raquel Gates. These two articles inform how we should view the art of these films and the amazing merits that constitute just getting the film made and seeing the symbolisms and motifs that's in these films, rather than just noting uh, it to understand race. Yeah, uh, well said, exactly. I think the important groundwork we have to lay before going into the Black Star Film Festival is that as two white or white passing viewers, you know, these films don't owe us anything. Their, their purpose is not to be didactic and, you know, and teach us things about Black culture that we didn't know before and how to be better anti-racist citizens or something. You know, they're films and artwork in their own way, and they deserve to be viewed for their artistic value and for their personal um, meaning to other directors and the other creators. And I think these two articles do a great job of, um, you know, saying all that in... Mm-hmm. much more elaborate and uh, eloquent sentences. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I just wish that I could have a great vocabulary, but the, these articles can do the talking, but also that while it's important to be actively anti-racist in many activities you do in life, do not equate viewing ex- festivals that pertains to predominant BIPOC audiences, like as an anti-racist film list, or you could apply the same thing that if you see a film of another gender, don't 
view this as teaching of gender or teaching of disability as disability and other faults in life. And that they are well-intentioned as Raquel points out and feature some great films like Ava DuVernay's 13th, Justin Simeon's Dear White People and Spike Lee's Malcolm X. They, as we said earlier, reduced as a manual to understand oppression and that all of this is in the standard of white audiences. Yeah, and I think that uh, a point that Raquel brings up is that this isn't, you know, something new to film uh, in terms of, you know, uh, Black artists being able to express themselves in a way that's not didactic, like I said before, because she mentions that um, the recently discovered short film, Something Good, Negro Kiss, um, which can be both viewed as, you know, joyous rendering of Black people in love, um, or just as, uh, as she says, Alison Field, the film historian, argues that the film also seems to be satirizing Thomas Edison's The Kiss from two years prior. So, you know, right from the beginning of film, these different types of films were in conversation with one another, not necessarily all just being educational purpose. And there's nuance and there's depth to them from the, from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And another thing she points out is the production of Lion Kiln Club Field Day um, directed by Bert Williams, where even though Bert Williams wasn't blackface as at the time, that was the only way where Black actors could perform more in vaudeville in the 1800s than early 1900s. But you could see the leadership and the different ways of commanding and trying to destigmatize the tropes that comes with Blackface and differentiate the tropes of Blackness and quote unquote real Black people that's mentioned in the Raquel's op-ed and while it's important to bring these films of whether that's been recently rediscovered like Kathleen Collins Losing Ground or Forrest Jenkins Kane River it's a, a travesty when uh, these films have to be like rediscovered years later and uh, hopefully we can recontextualize them in the way that the the filmmakers of those films could be seen after they passed away. Yeah, um, I think that's, as she says, it's, it's like disheartening, but also um, exciting that these new films are being discovered, but then there's so many, like how many other ones are out there to be discovered and are, are lost as of right now. Um, and I think the other thing that the article does really well is sort of um, shine a light on the way that studios are trying to sort of are reconciling with these films and episodes of tv shows that were are now viewed as largely racist and not and that's not to say that they weren't racist at the time um like but she talks about the difference between hbo max uh taking down gone with the wind and then bringing it back up with the intro or a little um blurb at the beginning that sort of contextualizes the racism of the film rather than on Hulu 
an episode of I think it was Golden Girls, right? Where I was just yeah, there's taken Girls down outright like because of her blackface, shows. and it was just sort of trying to sweep it under the rug rather than you know engaging with it and sort of confronting the context of the time that led to blackface in that episode. Right? I, mm-hmm. I think that's a sort of that's an important. Um, area of the industry to shine a light on especially because she talks about that Hulu's decision was much more just like a frantic panic on behalf of white guilt sort of sweeping on the rug and be like oh we're anti-racist you see we're we don't want blackface in our shows but um that's not what (laughs) the right thing is to do and you have to as I've been saying you know you have to confront it and you know, and engage with it and see why that came out and educate audiences based on it. Mm-hmm. And as the this article ended, is that the time never existed on quote unquote saying we didn't know any better. Like you could always just be honest of yourself. Like everyone is complex. We all grow. Like just don't be as uh, like so innocent like know that we have uh, our deep flaws and uh, we can challenge those flaws and uh, become better people like that instead of just whitewashing that shit exactly yeah and like some of the key takeaways that i want to mention in janina's article politics of the gays is that uh, um that the importance of the cure the curation of films in festivals like the Bobo Black Film Festival in Brazil, where she's the programmer of, is to like organ to probe the panorama of contemporary black film productions and recognize the many multiplexity of cinematic genres that's as written her article and to view it as art objects instead of like as we talked a lot earlier about was soon to be of black life and that it's to expand discussions that um reflects like expansion paths of artistry beyond representation and she hosts many great series of conversations called politics of the gays during the festivals and other times of the year which i if they are available for the public, you should check them out. And also how that she wants to mention how that proposed by Michael B. Gillespie in her writings that his idea of a quote unquote black film represents a vast abundance of just seeing interpretations of texts and also how that uh, these acts of curation is also meant to be an an act of sharing rather than just academic formats of knowledge and how to de-Europeanize the presence of these films playing at festivals and that transforming the, as she says that this sort of revolution would transform the landscape of film circuits so that the frequent lack of diversity 
in most festivals and similar industries will begin to recede and the curating is will hopefully be a craft to reconnect with its etymological origins and become gestures of caring rather than just tokenizations or performative uh, tones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway from um, Janina's article is the, the sort of state of, maybe not state, but the way that she describes uh, film curation specifically in Brazil, where um, there's no like formal training to be film curator. And as it's supposed to be an act of sharing is how she views it. And um, I was really interested in the way that she said she wants to engage with people with um, just more casual film goers, I guess. I forget how she describes them, but just people that don't have a sort of canonized view mindset of the way film works. And because, you know, if you bring in this, as you said, the Eurocentric view of the sort of bedrock of film, um, even in a place like Brazil, you're, you have to engage with film better there because, you know, it's a lot more than the canonized view of film has to offer. And I think that, um, you know, she's starting in a good place for trying to sort of build her way from the ground up um, because as she clearly describes, you know, Brazilian cinema, Afro-Brazilian cinema also has so much to offer um, that is kind of just being ignored if you come at it through a skewed lens already. Mm -hmm. Due to the lack of accessibility of the Lujuk Knight, Aurora Brackman's recommendation, we will review it once it's available to the public. And I want to give Aurora a special shout out for her film Stillwaters playing at Black Star as I forgot about it in the original recording. But I want to give this moment to, to highlight the relationship between her and her mother and nature that will be present in uh, Stillwaters, which is available online and in person in Philadelphia during the fest. Now back to your regular scheduled programming. That is very well said, and with all of these thinkings in mind coming into seeing the lines of uh, this festival, whether that's through the feature programming and a lot of good shorts, as Black Star is known for having a lot more shorts than features, as it's just to recognize the importance of short film storytelling, and also that it's also in its second year. An Oscar qualifying festival for the best live action narrative and doc short documentary genres. And like some of the feature films that I'm excited to see are, well, I saw before from another festival, Aftershock from Paul Isel and Connie Lewis Lee, that's about um, Bryce and Omani, Omari trying to raise awareness of systematic um, racism in hospitals regarding childbirth complications deaths that's easily preventable and how it's a human rights issue, not just even a woman's right issue. And there's also going to be 
the film Mars One that just played at Outfest and Tribeca Film Festival. And there is Lingui, The Sacred Bonds from Mohamed Saleh Haroun. And there's also going to be the films, the documentary Rewind and Play, where the loneliest monk um, directs a TV program in France directed by Alain Gomez. And there is going to be the featured doc, Silent Beauty, which is a autobiographical exploration of director Jasmine Murrow Mur Lopez's family history with child abuse. And Storming Caesar's Palace, which is a documentary that uplifts the story of activist Ruby Duncan and a band of ordinary mothers who launched one of the most extraordinary yet forgotten fence anti-poverty movements in U.S. history directed by Hazel Gerland Cooler, which is making its world premiere at the fest. And there's also the passion of remembers from uh, um, Looking for Langston's Isaac Julian, where he, along with co-director Maureen Blackwood, uh, it signifies the complexity of the Black British experiences and the overlooked, uh, often overlooked intersections between race, class, gender, and sexuality. And they'll have an amazing post-screen conversation between Karen Alexander and Louis Messiah Messiah that will focus on the film's exploration of the race, class, and gendered intersections of Black British life, the work of cultural memory through filmmaking, and consider the influence and poetics of Isaac Julian's cinematic corpus as a whole. And as there's also some other good featured docs like Wisdom Gone Wild from Raya Tajiri, which is an immersive meditation on elder consciousness in the act of caregiving a parent with dementia. And the, the doc, we still hear slash Nelsonemos, which is in response to the government's disregard and poor relief management during Hurricane Marina, young residents from Comorio, Puerto Rico, they activate themselves by taking control and transforming not only their lives, but their community. And that's just one of several feature films that's going to be there. Like, and also there's going to be the African Desperate from Martin Sims that just played at New Directors Films, New D Directors New Films at Lincoln Center in MoMA and at IFFR, which follows a professor going through a tough days in college in the predominant white institution. And I have not seen it at New Directors New Films, but I'll try to check that out. And is there other things you want to share, Sean? Um, I think you covered a good, a good amount of them. That there were, um, I wanted, you mentioned Lingui Sinker Bonds, which is a film from last year, uh, which has only now become already much more important and uh, you know critical to the time period as women's rights are under attack and it's not really just a issue within our borders it's sort of a global issue to fight for women's rights for abortion um, 
and Isaac Julian, you also mentioned, I, I watched Looking for Langston last year and was just kind of blown away by it. Um, so I definitely want to check out Passion for Remembrance because I think that one has a virtual offering as well. And Isaac Julian, you know, is just kind of like sing singular, one of the most important voices in Black and queer cinema. Um, and then the other one I was looking at that looked intriguing um, I can't remember if you mentioned right here now. Is it Let the Little Light Shine? Oh, um, I did not, but yeah. I got to see a true false. Take it away, Sean. Yeah. So uh, you said you got to see it? Yeah. I was okay. at, I saw as real premiere True Falls. It'll soon be on POV later this year. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh, about a Chicago African American elementary school that is threatened to close and being replaced in favor of a, a wealthier residence to open a new high school. And it follows the student educators, you know, fight to keep that elementary school alive um, and open. And, you know, I, of course, I gravitate to other Chicago films, but <laughs> this the sort of educational standpoint of that coming from a family of teachers um, makes it stand out as well. And I hope that you enjoyed it and I want to check it out as well. <laughs> well. The, the film is directed by Kevin Shaw, who has done a lot of sports documentaries on ESPN, also was, and is like a cinematographer on uh, on City So Real and was a segment director on Steve James' America to Me, and James is an executive producer on the doc. And I don't think I have much feature films left to share, but there's just so many great shorts. I'll start off with three before I hand it off to Sean just because I can get care myself away when talking about movies. Oh, it's fine. You take care of the shorts. Uh, I only got a couple probably. Mm -hmm. Well, there's just several New Yorker docs that are available online, but please check them in the theater. Like there is um, sub 11 seconds from Bayfic that follows Shakari Richardson's attempts and process into winning or being one of the top spots in the qualifying runs for the 2021 Olympics and it's executive produced by Virgil Abloh so it has some rings to that the game gods that focuses on the capitalism the American dream and the failure of providing those services in Black communities from Adrian L. Burrell, that's executive produced by Peter Nix of Homeroom and The Waiting Room. And one film that I really want to see is Conspiracy, that's co-directed by Simone Leigh and Madeline Hunt Ehrlich, which they don't provide much description other than it was um, took place at Leigh's home during the Venice Biennale and I really want to see a lot of Madeline Hunt Ehrlich's um, films in uh, the in the surrealism tone that she did in uh, Spit on the Broom and other shorts that I've just first heard of her as a producer on the True False feature after Sherman and that's and one more film that's already on a Vimeo, but you should still see it 
is Sunil Sanskari's Golden Jubilee as like his past shorts, letter from far off country and a home but not home. It follows ideas of freedom, loss, and recovery in the wake of colonial and neocolonial theft and how his family is tied to that history. Yeah. Uh, good job keeping yourself to only a couple. <laughs> but I mean, of course, any of these shirts are going to be worthwhile. And for me, I, I you know I struggle to, I kind of get overwhelmed seeing all the shorts just because especially Black Star has such an emphasis on them. And it really does a good job, like, letting you see the the breadth of the sort of global because they have I think it was like 76 countries or mm -hmm. no 76 films representing 27 countries um so just a couple of shorts that you know caught my eye Barry the beekeeper um just I'm a big fan of beekeeping and bees but it's just a inter inter intergenerational tale about a Jamaican-born beekeeper um who has been the heart of his local community in Liverpool and then the other one, um, Women of the Earth, Mujer de la Tierra, or Mujer de Tierra, um, in the Nahua, Nahua community of Oyapan, Puebla, we encounter the stories of a generation of women that have challenged society through their embroidery work, their innate rebelliousness, and their, their self-belief. They have joined forces to transform themselves in the history of their community. Um, that is by Evelyn Mercedes Munoz Marroquin, um, a Mexican film um, about what I just said there. But, you know, that just caught my eye in terms of just being able to capture these small and intimate um, communities and then being able to give them a little bit of a stage through Black Star, I think, is, is always great to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's making its U.S. premiere at the best. And... Again, there's just a few more shorts I want to share, which is um, <laughs> what they've been taught from Bertenso that focus on the meaning of art as art doesn't have a language. It's There's no word for art in Cherokee. I got to see that at Blackstar. You could see on the LA Times website as well as Ants from Neotero's Reciprocity Project and another doc from that, the series is Pi, uh, I want to make sure that I see it there. Uh, but I'll hopefully see it soon. But well, other than that, there is Lytles from Kevin Jerome Everson that focuses on the delicatessen in his hometown in Mansfield, Ohio. and. You know, it's three minutes long and 60 millimeters silent. It's still going to be a great film to watch. And that he does a lot of great job just showing the subtlety of life. Doesn't show too much emphasis on the trial and tribulations that comes in that genre. And Hilika Moo from Justin Na Chong that focuses on Native Hawaiian taro farmers and keepers of the generation practice of leaving the open space for burial that people that are not from the culture are trying to criminalize them. And the, the short film Glitter and Gold from Christian Nolan Jones that 
have won awards at South by Atlanta Film Festival that follows Jabril taking a trip with his best friend played by Stranger Things, Brad Ferguson, the flea market to get Shane to impress a crush, which has some great humor. And there is going to be Freedom Hill from Receda Cox. It's played at full frame and the doc Freedom Hill is about the town of Princeville, North Carolina. The first town courted by freed enslaved Africans in America and its historical significance since on the precipice, it's gradually being washed away. And there's just so many good other short docs and other features that I've not got to mention that we're running out of time to really talk about, but please check out its website, blackstarfest.org for all of its offerings. And they do a lot of great year-round screenings, the annual William Lewis Grease Filmmaking Seminar, and an amazing podcast, Many Lumens, that had recent guest, painter Amy Sherald, who did the Michelle Obama portrait, Terrence Nance of Random Acts of Flyness. And in the past, they had Janisa Bravo of Zola and Blitz the Ambassador, who was one of the co-directors on Beyonce's Blackest King. Yeah, very well said. Um, I think, yeah, I just echo, check out the film guide, blackstarfest.org. Um, check out the articles that we talked about too, um, mm-hmm. for Raquel's New York Times op-ed and Janina's um, Politics of the Gays. Onscene.org, um, well, Onscene Journal, Black Stars, um, journal on visual culture and uh, we all hope they have a good day today's concluding thought comic-con for those who may not know me i am an inner nerd to film franchises like marvel and dc however i am not into the literary comic book forms as I am not a fan of folklore. I do not want to dig deep into the subculture and other storylines of X franchises that make me stick to just one franchise. I want to have room in my head where I need the basic information of X universe and not be too attached to this one huge storyline that's adapted in many forms. I can't fully roleplay into X characters for LARP theater or commit to Dungeons and Dragons. However, I want to attend a comic convention and cosplay my favorite characters one day. The huge San Diego one just happened, and I always look forward to the YouTube videos of the panels, trailers, and Conan's appearances before his show ended. It seems fun to attend, but has tight crowd control and is expensive. I have dreamt of attending at least once since high school and will only go if I could take a vacation week when having a job. I will camp in line for the Hall H panels for hours, which is where many of the Marvel ones take place. I understand that it is all business at the end of the day. We need to thank the illustrators, comic book writers, filmmakers, and actors for taking their time to 
these presentations and to give us enough materials to have us excited for the multiverse saga and other huge films within the next few years. I honestly can't wait for Kang's presence in the MCU, the new Guardians film, and the extension of Wakanda, and I'm a bit skeptical about Avatar and John Wick 4. It seemed like a good year to have a pre-COVID-esque coverage of the San Diego Comic-Con and be able to monitor in-person crowds. That was always challenging to know when to even have such an event. I can't wait for what's next. And that's today's concluding thought. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Real Print. This episode's music includes Continuum Mutation, courtesy of Kama, Like Clockwork by Benjamin Kling, courtesy of Epidemic Sounds, and Shimmering by Rafa Orchestra, courtesy of Epidemic Sounds. This episode is co-produced and edited by Anish Katu and Edward Frumpkin. Please check out this episode's notes and links, as well as reviews, award, and seasonal predictions and essays written by yours truly at realprint.org. That is R-E-E-L print.org. This is Edward Frumpkin signing off.